Welcome to Care Partners Compass, Navigating CRC. My name is Elsa Lankford. I am the care partner to my incredible wife, Christine, who has stage four colorectal cancer. As a disclaimer, this podcast and its content is for entertainment purposes only. The views and opinions expressed by any hosts or guests on this podcast are their own personal opinions. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation. This podcast does not contain medical or legal advice. Please consult your medical professional about any medical questions or concerns. In today's episode, and in a few of the episodes, I am joined by my friend Annie Dolores. She's been a patient advocate for CRC for almost seven years. She's very involved in colorectal cancer and KRAS social media groups and communities. She selflessly shares her wisdom and research at conferences and online. Well, so let's uh, let's move into like what you remember before Christine was diagnosed. What was going on? It kind of started back in um, May 2021, peak COVID you know, era. So yeah, so she went to her uh, primary care for her annual physical and uh, in the, in the blood work, uh, her iron was low. She was 45 in 2021. Uh, Let me think. She was 48. So um, she was put on iron pills for a month and uh, had the blood work checked again and her iron was even lower. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. So there's obviously something wrong, um, but it didn't seem like a, you know, a big deal. Did she, so she was anemic. Did she feel tired? She does a lot of exercise, um, a lot of steps, a ridiculous, amount of steps for normal humans um (laughs) so it seemed she might want us to edit that out but i i think you should hold on to that one (laughs) i think you can prove that legally (laughs) it's over ten thousand steps a day you're on right it's clearly yes yes fifteen thousand steps a day as your minimum oh my gosh wow not normal but she likes it. In retrospect, she was losing weight. Oh, interesting. But she was doing a ridiculous amount of exercise. So I was thinking maybe it might be worthwhile to mention uh, her health background at this point. So Christine has been, like I have been, vegetarian. Well, I became vegetarian earlier than <laughs> her. Like two months is no big deal. Also. <laughs> <laughs> it was two years. It was actually three years. Um, she she became vegetarian at the age of sixteen. Oh wow! Um, wow. So uh, so at that point, then she had been vegetarian for what 30, 33 years. In twenty sixteen, she had been diagnosed as type two diabetic, and um, after a month well i guess during the the month that she was on insulin she became diet controlled uh she did not want to do medicine you know it's like one of those things where when you look back at Mm -hmm. pictures then 
you can see it. But when you're living with somebody, and I mean, this was COVID, so I was seeing her every day, all day. Um, it, it seemed completely normal. Um, it's 15,000 so, steps a day. Uh, if they lose weight, I, I would make cause effect with that. So I totally understand, you know, that you wouldn't assume yes. something. But you're right. When you see each other each other all the time you're not going to notice what might be more noticeable to other people or in photos um yes so now looking back it's like oh wow you know she really had you know been skinny so after those iron pills uh -huh. the next step was to check for blood in the stool and they did find blood in the stool microscopic something that she had told the primary care was that she felt a bump like physically on her stomach and um she had not she had not told me that uh until this started to become more obvious that something was wrong it turns out that that bump was part of her liver tumor i, I don't want to spoil anything but it, yeah it was a huge i mean it was a huge tumor the next step was to do a, a CT scan and uh, we went to where we normally get our mammograms and um, I did the scan. There was what's considered now distant oh. lymph nodes, but um, uh, the next step was to do both a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. And the first available date was on her birthday. So, um, so we did that. They said that they do the colonoscopy first, and if that was clean, then they would do the endoscopy, but not to do both, you know, if it wasn't necessary. You were in the waiting room and you found out more? Where do they bring you back to? Um, An office? It was to, like, it, no, it was, she was on the cot still, or the gurney. Oh, okay. Um, you know, still kind of, you know, waking up. And they said that there was a um, that there was a tumor in her uh, sigmoid uh, part of her colon, and you know they 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 stopped. How much information did they give you at that point? Just that we're not doing surgery; it's metastatic colorectal cancer with a liver mint. Is that sort of where you sort of knew you were at um, in the lymph nodes? They well, they didn't necessarily connect anything together but they okay. did say that there is a cancerous a likely okay. cancerous I, I don't even know if they could say for sure but he knew they had to send it to pathology but yeah to pathology yeah but he knew that it looked uh, at least cancerous when somebody has cancer you kind of assume that you just cut it out when you see it you cut it out that if you ask a doctor to cut it out, that they'll cut it out. <laughs> um, and it's just not that simple. I, I've had to go on a huge learning journey <laughs> during this process. And in the beginning, it was like, okay, well, you came across cancer. You guys see the cancer. Let's get rid of the cancer. <laughs> like I, when I found out they they didn't take stage four primary cancers out, or usually not until later, I was like, what what is that about but then when you realize it's going to take you weeks to recover and they want to start chemo right away if that's the next step for stage four they want to control everything in all the metastatic settings and all the outside the colon settings like that's that's the primary focus 
the tech uh, had um, felt so badly that uh, she was being notified about, you know, this cancer on her birthday that he, that he bought a, um, you know, from the from the vending machine, bought a, a Rice Krispies treat and um you know wrote in sharpie like happy birthday i'm i'm so sorry i'm so sorry that you're having a bad day but you know it was very sweet Oh, that was so sweet it, and like ri ridiculous too and lovely <laughs> the thought of her or anybody our age or younger having colon cancer i mean it just seemed impossible i had an impression that it was older people. I had an impression that it was more older guys and it was never, never on the radar at all. Yeah. I think you're so on the money. I think people do think of it as an older men's disease over 60, over 70. And, you know, they say that the biggest uh, risk for cancer is age, just getting older. And now it's like, it used to be that you'd have to be over 50 to be more at risk. And now it's getting earlier for colorectal cancer, where just being 45 is enough of a risk factor that it's like, okay, get checked out, get the polyps removed, you know, take care of yourself. And I mean, she was already taking care of herself, you know, trying to get an annual physical is a great step for anybody. After I recorded with Annie, I actually had to go back and look at the calendar because between the colonoscopy and the oncologist appointment, it could have been a month. It could have been a day. I It was such a blur. Um, so it turns out that it was the next week that we met with her oncologist when we met, I believe, with her oncologist the first time. Well, everything was, everything in the beginning anyway is overwhelming. Um, yeah. And it's uh, it's hard sometimes to remember that exact feeling because time has gone past and other things seem overwhelming. But um, that was the most. And when I hear from new care partners, uh, when they when they post on on message boards, I always get reminded of how what it's like uh, being at that in the beginning time and not knowing what's what's going on or what's important. Yes, or yeah. anything. I mean, I mean, I went in. I mean, we both went in not knowing. We knew what it was, but he was uh, mostly concerned not about the giant liver tumor but about her her distant lymph nodes and I didn't understand why but during this first meeting um, that was what he was the most concerned about he talked about what uh, plan he had he wrote it down I was taking notes but I couldn't understand what he was saying because um, he was using acronyms even when he wasn't using acronyms, I didn't understand how to spell words like oxaliplatin and irinotecan. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> really? You well, can't spell those? Now, hmm. I can. That's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's off to you for being able to pronounce them. Well, it was, um, it was, we got a lot thrown at us and he explained that there was some recent studies that showed that because she was young and because she was healthy, uh, other than the cancer, that he thought that should be aggressive to try to get her to surgery, that his plan was to put kind of all the chemos together and uh, do the most aggressive attack on the cancer. So like a triplet. Yes. And exactly. And, you know, and now, now that I know better, it was a triplet. It was Fulfoxiri. So 5-FU plus uh, oxaliplatin plus irinotecan. Typically, 5-FU is used with either oxaliplatin or irinotecan. In this case, it's like putting it all together and then adding Avastin to it. I just want to, I want to ask one question. How, like a spoiler, how did she do on, on the chemo? Did she tolerate it pretty well? She tolerated it, it like a champ. I mean, she had wow. fatigue and that was it. This was wow. a lot of chemo. She was, she was lucky. She also follows instructions like nobody's business. <laughs> she is the <laughs> ideal patient. Um, for so many reasons, but she Aww. listens to everything that, you know, that any medical professional says and follows it to the T. So, uh, and the other thing I wanted to bring up is that one of the things that is available is the NCCN, like the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, something like that. It, they have actually guidelines for rectal cancer and for colon cancer. Like I try to like, I promote it and just say, if you print it out and you can use it to write notes, you can see that word axioplatin <laughs> written out, or you can, you know, you can have that kind of cheat sheet to, to figure it out because, you know, understanding what it's, what's being said to have a little head start or to be able to like, look it up on a piece of paper it's a it's a lot to take in yeah. and it's a lot to write notes that aren't scribbles that are indecipherable <laughs> um and it's really well written i, I found that afterwards and i f i found it incredibly helpful but of course it was afterwards and it helped explain for yeah. me it was like the the cliff notes of yes what i wish i had had beforehand but i but i ended up with after and um yeah that is a that is a great idea to have it with you you know, having a notepad is one thing, but having like a cheat sheet of these are probably the things that are going to come up, the genetic testing or the mutational testing or like all the treatment things. Um, I, I did want to go back, you know, go a little bit further with the meeting with the oncologist, um, like in terms of understanding it or like having too much information. This had come up to the tumor board. The tumor board is basically where oncologists and radiologists and surgeons and um, you know um, a lot of different medical professionals in the the cancer center go through patients' cases and they come up with plans. And that way, it is not just one person's point of view. It's getting the point of view of multiple people and multiple departments, and it is crucial her case had come up to the tumor board and he'd roped in a liver surgeon and a colon surgeon and they were already kind of part of the team and he had a, a 
a plan that he was kind of working on with them. But for that plan to happen, the chemo had to happen first. And the chemo had to work. And, um, and it needed at least, um, ideally, like a 50% reduction. Primarily the liver tumor, because that, uh, her, her big liver tumor was over half of her liver. They thought it was limited to two Mets. And that, you know, if they could get to shrinkage, then she could be eligible for surgery. And so that's why they had that as a goal. Does that sound right? Yes. The remaining part of her liver was healthy, and the liver surgeon believed that um, he could remove the cancer from her liver. I guess the takeaway is that it's like some people at first, they might not even think they have a chance to get to liver surgery. But if you have an exceptional response to chemo, you you know, then you can go to an expert liver surgeon and see if they think it's surgical. It's, it is, like you said, it's a complicated disease, and it's... Anything can happen. And they're they're trying to prepare for anything can happen. And part of it is preparing for something good can happen. I think. I mean, he was also very realistic with her and with us and said that there was a, you know, the chance of her getting to liver surgery was 20%. Oh, wow. Wow, that that's amazing that she made it. 20%. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of statistics with this disease that are um, mind-boggling. And some of them you never right. forget. That was one that I will never forget. And you heard that the first day? The first like, appointment with the oncologist? Yeah. Yes. Now, what I did block out <laughs> was when he... Uh, asked if she wanted survival statistics and um, mm. she said yes and there's a lot of crying um, from that from those numbers that were said um, they are um, humbling to say the least and hopefully continuing to you know get better um, but, um, but yeah, that 20% became the hurdle to get past. That was the goal. Um, and that's, that was, uh, that was really like the only goal was get to liver surgery. Then we'll see what's next, but we have to get to liver surgery because it was very clear that if she didn't get to liver surgery, that this was this was going to be a... This is not going to end the way you wanted no. it to end? No. So Christine asked for that, or to be told. He asked if she wanted to hear it, and okay. she said yes. I said no. She oh, said yes. Oh. Because he wasn't asking me. But I still gave my opinion because what? I didn't <laughs> want to know. <laughs> Reading them and then hearing a doctor tell you are two different things. But also reading them is also, you know, yeah. horrible. Is there anything else about getting diagnosed that you want that we haven't talked about or 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 that why you feel like a podcast about getting diagnosed is important? 
everybody has a story maybe not exactly like this because it's Christine's story life changes so incredibly much you know at this point everything changed everything that I ever thought was important all of a sudden became it it was no longer relevant the only thing that was important was for her to be in that 20% category to get to that liver surgery. That was the only thing that mattered. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Care Partners Compass, Navigating CRC. Please listen up for the next episode, which will come out next week. If you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, you'll know exactly when the next episode comes out. I hope that you'll share the podcast with your friends and family. The transcript of Care Partners Compass, Navigating CRC, and additional links can be found on our website, carepartnerscompass.transistor.fm. <laughs>